I'm going to go gal. with uh, orangefizz.net. Let there be fizz. Fizzcast! Without Jerry McIntyre, we would have won 10 f***ing games this year. You're watching the fizz. Okay? Not 10. What's up, fizz fans? The most bullshit thing I've seen in 30 years. Welcome back to another episode of the fizz. And especially that it comes from our people. OrangeFizz.net. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Alongside Logan Grossman, I'm Nathan Dickinson. We've got you every Saturday morning here from 9 to 10 a.m. right here on the Score. And if you haven't heard, the Syracuse basketball season is over. Logan, I know you have a lot to say about it, so I'll let you go ahead and go first. Um, A 15-point loss to Boston College on Wednesday makes it all but impossible for the Orange to make the tournament. The only way I see it happening is three wins in three days in the ACC tournament, including a win over Clemson on Saturday today, which is far from certain. Yeah, Clemson's a ranked team. Um, they've been up and down for much of the year due to injuries to some of their star players, but they're a good team, and Syracuse just lost by 15 points to Boston College and is probably feeling like their season's over. So I don't know if there's any reason to think they beat Clemson today. Uh, we will, I'm sure, dive headfirst into that game against Boston College, what went wrong, what didn't go wrong, which is a much smaller list, and where does Syracuse go from here? Yeah, and the Boston College game was frustrating for a lot of reasons. One, because it was a lot of the same things that we had seen in a lot of the bad games Syracuse has had this season, kind of all coming together into one to collectively end the Orange's effort to make the NCAA tournament. Nothing happened outside of the Orange's big three, you would call it. Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, and O'Shea Brissett. Boston College just absolutely dismantled the 2-3 zone in a way that made them look like a top-10 team. It was an outstanding offensive effort from Boston College throughout the entire game. Yeah, I think that Boston College, the the easiest way, the simplest way, I should say, to beat the zone is to shoot. It's not the easiest way because hitting 50% of their threes, which is about what Boston College hit, is not easy. Most teams can't do that. But it's the simplest in that it doesn't require a complex offensive scheme to do. You make the extra pass, and then you hit your shot. And Boston College did that for 40 minutes. From the first time they had the ball right up until Syracuse pretty much gave up in the last minute and a half of the game. Boston College made that extra pass, found a shooter who had a, at least a semi-open look, and they almost never missed. So I'm, 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 I'm struggling to figure out what you're trying to say here then is the solution. If you're saying Boston College... Don't play 2-3 zone. Don't play 2-3 zone? I, that's a big thing to say to a Syracuse basketball fan. Nobody said... People like, you don't say that. I just did. All right, so then... Look, that's not something that, honestly, that's not something that can be done at this point in the season. So I'm just, I'm looking going forward. Or at this point in the in the next decade. I don't know about that. I, I don't know if... Not until Jim Beheim's gone. Well, that's not a he can't play man, it's he won't play man. There's a difference. He used to, it was only, what, seven or eight years ago he switched to full-time only 2-3 zone? He's always played zone more than most coaches, but he only in the last 10, dec- 10 years or so has become an exclusive 2-3 zone guy. And I think, 
I think for a while it worked. It, it, and it, it works, I think, a little bit more in the non-conference because the teams don't see that. You're now playing Boston College for the second time this season. What, like the sixth time in the last three years? How many times has Bowman gone up against uh, that 2-3 zone? He knows what it looks like. He knows what he has to do. So I, I think that when you are stuck on one system, and this year they just didn't have the guys necessary to play that system as well as you possibly can, yeah, I think that that really caught up to them late in the season. And I think not saying you can't play the two-three zone. You don't play exclusively one thing. If you had an, uh, you know, for the most part, if you have a, a a football offense, you can't run one play. You mix up looks on defense in football. You look, you mix up looks on defense in basketball, at least in college basketball, because the zone's an option. That's what I'm saying. The 2-3 the, the zone, and he started doing it full-time around 96, which I just looked up. I didn't actually know off the top of my head. But he started doing it full-time about 96, which means he's been doing zone full-time for about 20 years, not the last 10. And also that includes a national championship, three Final Fours in total, unless I'm missing another one, which I don't think I am, and five straight seasons of top-five basketball leading into this downstretch that has been what the last four years now I, I don't say I disagree with the idea that the zone isn't working anymore but I'm also not saying that there's enough evidence out there right now to say that you should just abandon what got you that national championship and what got you the three final fours Melo got them the national championship Mas- all, right, all right fine Melo got them the national championship but still they're very talented or not not even very talented teams very less than enough talented enough teams that made deep NCAA tournament runs because of the 2-3 zone. And also, I don't think that the 2-3 zone as a whole this season has done bad enough for it to be that deeply criticized. The 2-3 throughout the entire year has been the reason why Syracuse has won games, while the offense is the reason why it's lost them. The 2-3 helps the Syracuse team out more than it hurts it by far, and I don't think people are going to be trying to get away from anytime soon. Do games like what happened on Wednesday happen? Obviously. But teams can shoot over any kind of defense. And it's not the, it's the way that Syracuse has done it for the past 20 years. It's the way Jim Beheim has done it for the past 20 years, which expands for half of his coaching tenure. I know it seems like he's been here forever, and that's not that long ago as far as long as he's been here. But still, it's something he's been doing and mastering for a long time now that really... It, also, in my opinion, fits the format of college basketball very well. If this were a best-out-of-seven series thing in a playoff, maybe it would be another way. But I think the 2-3 zone in college basketball does a very good job of confusing teams on neutral sites in situations where they haven't seen it very often before to make those kind of runs. Does it have its faults? Obviously, and it has its bad days. You are 100% right about that, but I want to bring back something you said you talked about the the success they had and how many years has it been down four yeah four sure until uh, the 25 and 0 was 2013 yeah uh the 25 and 0 season in 2013 was syracuse first year in the acc they've been brutal in the acc since 
And I don't think that's necessarily a coincidence. Not that the uh, the ACC is stronger than the old Big East. We know that. This is a great conference with some of the best and most historic teams in the country. Duke, UNC, et cetera, et cetera. And look, BC is not a team that falls into that category. But I think, I think that since coming to the ACC, it just hasn't worked as well with the style, the general style of basketball that the ACC plays. It's different than what Bayheim was incredibly successful at in the in the Big East. It's a very it's a different game, and I think college basketball and basketball in general is very different than it was even five years ago. You can blame Steph Curry for that, James Harden. You can blame those guys for that. Basketball has changed. Basketball is now you see seven footers becoming excellent three point shooters. That's what the game is, and we've all known the biggest weakness of a zone defense of a two three zone is guarding the perimeter. And basketball will continue to be guys shooting higher percentages from three. And the NIT sees that. And the NIT saying, okay, we're going to expand the three-point line. Because it's just become a, a chuck fest in, in basketball. The NIT this year will do an experimental role where the three-point line will be further away. That could help Syracuse if that actually became a thing that the NCA adopted. But I think that just basketball in general has evolved to a point where the 2-3 zone is far less effective than it was 5 uh, 10 years ago, uh, arguably even five years ago. All right. You say the big, old Big East wasn't as strong as the current ACC, which I agree with 100%, but has it all? was it always that way? I mean, Jim Beheim's been doing this for 20 years now. In 2003, when he won the national championship, was the Big East any less talented than the ACC was? Big East has been a very powerful conference long before the transition was made to the ACC, and Jim Beheim's been successful with it long before the Big East kind of fell off and started to fall apart. Now, you mentioned the ACC style of play, the college basketball style kind of changing. Yeah, I agree with it, but I, I, I think there's a bit of an emphasis. Not everyone's Steph Curry. College basketball still only the best players are shooting threes at the highest levels. I mean, Syracuse doesn't have a guy who shoots over 35% from behind the arc, and there are people thinking that Syracuse is still, it's a debate whether it's, you know, it's a top 60 basketball team. Maybe. Maybe. All right. All right. We won't go into that. But maybe. (laughs) Oh, geez. Anyway. (laughs) We we need cameras in here so you can see see what what my face was when he said that. Um. Are they a top sixty basketball team? Right, we don't want to go into that. But the point is, there's plenty. The point is, there's plenty of good teams who still can't shoot threes. I don't necessarily buy the idea that the three point shot is just so dominant in college basketball now that you can't play a two three zone. You can't. I didn't say you can't play a two three zone. I don't think you should be playing it exclusively. All right, that's fair. That, That was my argument from the beginning. That it's the exclusivity of a defense. And then when you're playing a team, and look at this, Kai Bowman's hitting shot after shot after shot. It's nice to have the option to say, okay, you know what, let's switch to man. Let's try and limit his ability to shoot. But but, but Syracuse was sitting, and sometimes a guy just comes out in a basketball game and hits everything he sees, and Syracuse doesn't have the ability to make an adjustment. And they don't have an ability, we'll get into it, I guess, in the next segment, because we're running out of time, but they also don't have the ability to make adjustments on offense. 
But I, but I got to ask, and I guess this is the debate between the two of us, do you think that that is the system failing in the 2-3 zone, or do you think it's players not being able to execute the system? Because I feel like Jim Beheim makes tweaks when someone's going in and hitting shots. Wilbekin with Wake Forest. Uh, what happened last or Wednesday night with Boston College. It, it, he makes those tweaks to just going closer on him, and sometimes you shoot over. It happens. It's a 2-3 zone, and I understand what you're saying. But I feel like a lot of the times when the guys are heating up, Jim Beheim's able to make those adjustments to move the zone closer to those people. But he really doesn't. Um, the names escaped me, but when uh, Wake Forest came to the Dome... It was Wilbur 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 yeah, you just They didn't really change anything. He hit six in a row. And, and Beheim called two timeouts during that stretch. I know, and that's, but that, that's the question. Is it then the players not doing it? Or so is you're saying it Bay, I, I'm not changing it. Is it players? I think it's not, both. Because again, a very ex- inexperienced team. We saw. Look at the jump Frank Howard made sophomore to junior year. Not both offensively, but also defensively, scoring the basketball and being able to be a part of that two-three zone and a leader in it as the only junior on this roster. There's a lot of freshmen who are playing major roles on this team. People forget that a lot of the time. Now you don't know everything yet, and the two-three, the way Jim Beheim does it is very complex. There's a lot of rotations to make. And I don't want to be just saying it's complicated, don't worry about it. It's the guys not doing it the right way because I feel like that's what Jim Beheim goes to the podium and says. Yeah, I mean, Beheim always always quick to push the blame onto his players and not his system and himself and his coaches, um, which is an entirely separate issue about a coach taking responsibility for his own team. Um, but I, I just think that Look, yes, this year you can make this argument, and I think that's fair because that's what we're talking about, this year's team. Maybe this year's team's just not that good. But I think what's really making me have come to the conclusions I've come to is you look at last year's team and you look at the problems, and it's the exact same problems this year's team have. Very, a lot of the similar issues, and last year's team had a lot more talent and a lot more experience. But was the, but was the problem with last year's team the 2-3 zone either? It was one of the problems. I, but still, you would argue that the 2-3 zone won Syracuse games more than it lost it games. I, I understand that in each of these last four years, you could say Syracuse hasn't been coached well, Jim Beheim isn't doing something right because this team isn't as good as it should have been. This might be the first year that you can say this team just isn't talented enough to make the tournament. But in all of those years, there have still been lacking offensive talent, in 2014, 2014-2015, Rakeem Christmas was leading the offense. That was a player who had never had an offensive role at all before that year. He was primarily defensive-minded as a player. Trevor Cooney was with the team for a while. He was streaky throughout. Michael Benichet was outstanding for a season. Then John Gillen and Andrew White were both outstanding last season. And this year, Tyus Battle's been outstanding. Tyler Lydon's season I missed in there. Also, last year. He's pretty good. Yeah, 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 he was good too. But still, there's been talent on the team, but the problem has primarily been offensive. This team hasn't been able to score the basketball. I understand you think Jim Beheim's not coaching this team well enough, and I understand you think that the 2-3 zone exclusively is part of the problem, but I'm pointing the fingers at the offense side of it. Can I point it at everyone? Sure. Yeah, I blame you, you can. I blame you. It's just I don't think I don't think the two three zone is the problem right now that needs to be addressed. It's the offense, and I don't think it's been that way for the last four years. I think it's always been the offense that's what's been lacking behind. 
is the 2-3 zone perfect? Absolutely not. Are there days where Boston College scores 85 on you? Absolutely. But there's also days where the 2-3 zone wins you games, and there's been a lot more of those than what Syracuse has come up short. Yeah, I understand 100% what you're saying, and I, I'm going to pull up some things, and, and we'll get into it more in the next segment. Um, I, but the basics of what I'm about to say is, you can say Syracuse's two three zones won them games, but if they're playing a different system, you don't know that 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 it just you know that you could say, oh look, the two three zone really stiffened up, and that's why they beat Buffalo, a game that Buffalo was shooting well. But maybe they don't put themselves in that situation to begin with. Okay, yeah. Well, we'll talk about it more after the break. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Nathan Dickinson alongside Logan Grossman. We've got you until 10 a.m. right here on the Score. We'll be right back after this on the Score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Alongside Logan Grossman, I'm Nathan Dickinson. We've got you every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. right here on the Score. We spent a lot of the first segment, a very long first segment, talking about Uh, what seems like at least is going to be the finality of this Syracuse basketball team and what it was instead of what it is. Uh, A team that in a Wednesday night loss to Boston College by 15 points could not put it together on either side of the basketball. The Eagles scored 85 against the Orange's 2-3 zone. Meanwhile, Syracuse couldn't find a shot again. The offense looked stagnant at many points throughout the entire game. And while we talked a lot about the first uh, the defense in the first part of the segment. Now let's talk a little bit more about what happened on that offensive side because it, it was ugly. Ugly, yeah, but this wasn't close to the ugliest that we've seen this offense. Um, no, no, not at all. And they, again, they, 70, yeah, 70 80, points. 70 points is a lot better than what this team has done, but it, it was just kind of magnified at the end there because when Syracuse stopped scoring points, it was so abrupt, and Boston College just kept on pouring it on. Yeah, that's a good point. Um the offense, look, there's always going to be an extent where where it's down to the players you have. If you just don't have players who can score, there's only so much you can do. But they do have three guys who are capable of scoring. And, uh, and Frank Howard, uh, Tyus Battle, and O'Shea Brissett. Um, but I think what also the issue is, I think Beheim very early on in this season made the decision that this was going to be a team, kind of like you said, that wins games by its defense. And just because he just felt his offense wasn't good enough after the loss to Georgia Tech uh, about a month ago, he said our offense is terrible. It's been terrible all year. Um, and that press conference, uh, that game was so telling in the just ugly manner in which they lost uh, to Georgia Tech on the road. Um, and there were a few quotes that came out of that game that I think really can be the center of our entire discussion. Uh, Josh uh, Okoji from Georgia Tech said, Coach made a point to us that they're a good one-on-one team. They love to ISO. We try to make five guys guard one. When he's driving, he's seeing bodies. They just know that that's what Syracuse does. They don't pass the ball around. They don't have good off-ball movement. They only have two to three guys on the floor at a time that are capable of actually doing anything. And that's, I think, the biggest problem is you have a guy like Pascal Truku who's very valuable in the zone. And I think at times he's shown that he can be a really good anchor to that zone, particularly in the last five minutes against UNC. Everyone wants to blame him for fumbling that last pass, but he was the reason they were in that game. He made three or four blocks down the stretch. So, But he can't catch a ball. You can't bounce pass it to him. He can't bend down. He can't really go straight up. 
Like, so you have huge limits to the offense. You have limits with uh, Matthew Moyer and Marek Dolajai, who combined for 44 minutes and two points against BC. Um, and ultimately, I think the quote that uh, really stood out to me um, is what Bayheim said. He said, we quote, we don't run set plays to get shots because we can't make them. If that's not some of the worst coaching I've ever heard, I, I, that's just so remarkable to me. And that's a quote that he said over a month ago, and I just feel like people don't talk about it enough. He pretty much said, yeah, we stink at shooting, so we don't try. That's what I got out of that. And that's a problem. Okay, okay. First off, Beheim says anything at any point, and you you never know what he means or what he's going to do afterwards because of it. He sometimes gets up to the podium and just spits for 15 minutes on whatever he wants to. That's not the point. He says whatever he wants. What's happening on the floor is, you're right, awful. It's not good. <laughs> I, I I don't really care what Beheim says after the games. It's what happens during the games that what matters in this offense just hasn't done anything with it. Uh, you mentioned that there's only really three scorers on this team. Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett. And obviously you're right. Over 70% of the scoring, there's no argument against that. But it seems like this team, like previous teams, has guys who, who stand out just because they have need to for the team to be successful. But those role players beneath them are a much lower level. There's no Tyler Roberson on these teams. There's no, I, I don't even know if I want to say Daywan Coleman on these teams. But there, John there's Gillen. John Gillen. John Gillen, you might even argue, was one of those major players. So, uh, yeah. But there's no, uh, there's t- no Frank Howard of last season. No t- yes, no Frank Howard of last season. But Tyler Roberson's a good example. There's no yeah. Tyler Roberson's on these teams. But is that because these guys aren't good enough to do it? Or is it because Jim Beheim isn't giving them the opportunity to do it? We really take Jim Beheim for his word. In what he does on the floor, he's very tight, keeps things close. We don't see the experimentation out in the games. If Marek Dolajai isn't playing well in practice, he won't see time on the floor. Jim Beheim won't take that chance. So we don't really get to see if it's Marek Dolajai not being ready or if it's Jim Beheim not giving Marek Dolajai the chance to go out there and perform. Marek Dolajai is a bad example. He actually gets good minutes. Yeah, he gets a lot of minutes. He starts. Yeah, let's say Barama Sidibe. <laughs> Much better. And there's also... Marek Dolajai early in the season. Yes. Uh, the, there's the added wrinkle with Barama Sidibe that he's had some tendonitis issues. But right, the, the sure. general point's there. You're right, 100%. He played three minutes against BC mm-hmm. in a game where they had nothing. And in terms of uh, centers... He is much your better option offensively. It, but the thing, the thing is that G- Syracuse fans have always had this love-hate relationship with the way Jim Beheim does this, only plays the guys that he thinks are going to be able to perform out on the floor. But this team has been so thin in the past few years, and this year even more of an emphasis on that, that you can't really do that. It, it's gotten to the point where fans are watching games and thinking, I don't care if Sidibe is going to suck when he's out there. I need him out on the floor for at least a few minutes to try and do something. Yeah, and again, it goes to the depth of this team, which is incredibly thin to begin with, and then he just decides because of whether it's practice or whatever or he's just not in the mood to deal with a certain player that he, the guy plays limited minutes. It, it's draining on this team and I think the only argument I will give him right now for keeping the 2-3 zone exclusive is it is with the how thin his team is it is less draining 
Um, but I don't buy into that. He says his team's not tired. I think they looked lethargic on Wednesday. I think they look lethargic a lot in late games. Late in games, particularly games that are kind of back and forth. Um, the higher scoring, faster paced games like Wednesday night, they can't really. I think that's another problem that they just don't have the depth, which is an entirely separate issue because, again, it's Beheim's job to bring in players. He's had some bad luck um, with Torian Thompson transferring. On top of that, they play all five, little to no rest. Uh, he thinks Battle is Battle and Brissett are, quote, burnt out. No, And they don't run set plays, which is right. They don't. Beheim said they don't, and that I actually believe him because I watch, and I watch Howard and Battle dribble and dribble and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, if you watch the team, you know that this team's offense just just fundamentally doesn't work very well, doesn't flow very well. And I mean, I, I agree that part of that can be that the pieces aren't there, really. There aren't really the guys who have played the roles that have been successful in Jim Beheim offenses before. Uh, but at the same time, Jim Beheim offenses have relied a lot on being very talented. So it's, again, and we juggled around with this before also. Is it Jim Beheim not giving the guys the opportunity to play and not coaching them up well enough to be good? Or is it the recruits just weren't good enough? And, I mean, also you have that argument we really didn't even get into this and that show falls on Beheim too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that falls on Beheim too, but for a different reason. You got guys who are no, they're you know, no top one hundred recruits in this class, and a class that has been playing more than really any in recent years. Jim Beheim doesn't usually play freshmen. Um, but it's a problem. I think so. I think that that's why some people want to let him off the hook this year. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just the follow of this year from last season. I guess there's still just a bitter taste in my mouth that last year's team, which he called one of the best teams he's ever had at Syracuse, failing to make the tournament, and then you see similar things offensively with this year's team. The only, the biggest common denominator between last year and this year is Jim Beheim. So, so what's happened when Jim Beheim has been successful? The two-three zone's been there. We went over that. Majority of the Final Four's national championship has been the two-three zone exclusive format. On the offensive side of things, there's really been a lot of talent, which again kind of makes it harder to tell. Is it Jim Beheim coaching that makes the success, or is it the Carmelo Anthony's outstanding play in the NCAA tournament that makes the success? Same thing with a few years ago. Malachi. Malachi Richardson absolutely went off. So let's say just whether or not you think Jim Beheim's doing it the right way or not, you want Syracuse to do well, win basketball games. What has to happen? Someone has to have that kind of breakout potential. Does Tyus Battle have it? We don't know. Even when Malachi Richardson had it, though, he wasn't the top scorer on that team. He was number, what, three, four, maybe even? Yeah. He was not at the top of the totem pole. There were a lot of guys contributing offensively on that team. So if this team's going to be like that team, have a lot of different guys contributing because they have to. Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, and O'Shea Brissett are already locked up. They need to do well every single game. If Syracuse is going to have to have another guy out there performing efficiently on offense to be able to go deep into tournament play, play with actual good basketball teams, the only two players I've seen do that are Matthew Moyer. He's had tons of double-doubles. The 18-10 rebound game he had comes to mind. And Barama Sidibe, the 18.16 rebound game. It was against Pitt, but still. Those are the only two guys who have had that kind of potential to bring that scoring output that Syracuse needs so desperately. And the only and again, whether you, I don't I think Jim Beheim as a whole is a great basketball coach. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you say. 
lot some of what you uh, I, I tell about you say I, I let me rephrase I agree with what you say but not to the extent that you say it for the most part but I don't understand and will never understand how Matthew Moyer can go out and have one of those breakout games one night and then play two minutes in the first half the next game yeah the yeah. next game. And he's being benched the on the, he's being put you... into the doghouse. I understand practices happen, but when that guy was such a huge part of a win less than a week ago, how can you entirely remove him from the game we're plan talking. by next weekend? We're talking about practice. We're talk- it, it, it's, the thing is, Bill Belichick does it, but it works. Like, it, it, and, like, and that's what's crazy is that every single coaching strategy has ever happened has been judged on whether or not there's a W or a loss next to the dates on the calendar. Jim Beheim is going to be known by how many games he wins. Even if you think that Jim Beheim's running a terrible team right now, if that team goes on to make a Final Four this season, people are going to be praising Jim Beheim for whatever happened in those four games. Yeah, it's... I mean, I don't know what else to say other than what we've said and what what you just said. Um, You want to say Beheim's a good basketball coach or bad I don't know if that's really what the issue is here I think the issue like you said is right now it's just not working um whatever his strategies are they're just not working and this is a um a a fan base that fair or not has expectations maybe they're too high maybe I have too high expectations um but Again, he likes to point, and he waved four fingers at one of his press conferences, saying, I just went to a Final Four. You can't say our program's down, but you can. Now we're staring. We're just this close to three out of four missed NCAA tournaments. I mean, that's that's bad. That's not a team that you – it's the sixth winningest program in the country. The other guys in the top five, your Dukes, your Kentuckys, your Kansas, they never missed a tournament. I'm not saying Syracuse has to be a top 10, top 15 team every year for us to be satisfied and to think that this program's going where it should be. They need to make the tournament. The ACC is going to send nine teams. Be a top nine team in the ACC. We've talked a lot about what's happened with the Syracuse basketball season thus far. The Boston College loss on Wednesday, obviously, could very well end Syracuse's chances at an NCAA tournament bid. But after the break, we will talk about the future of Syracuse basketball, what's going on the rest of the season, what the Orange does have to do if it wants any chance of making the tournament, and then maybe even looking forward into next season if this is, in fact, the end of the Orange's tournament hopes. You'll hear it all right after this on Fizz Radio on The Score 1260. You're listening to Fizz Radio on The Score 1260. Alongside Logan Grossman, I'm Nathan Dickinson. We're talking a lot about Syracuse basketball because there's a lot to talk about. Syracuse has all but dashed its hopes of making the NCAA tournament this season with a 15-point loss to Boston College on Wednesday, which was just a a terrible display, really an outstanding display of all the things that have gone wrong for Syracuse this season, all really wrapped into one little bow. But now moving forward, Syracuse still has one game today against Clemson in the Carrier Dome Senior Day on a team that really doesn't have any seniors against a ranked opponent, with a chance to get a good quality win, and then the ACC tournament comes up where we know anything can happen. Uh, For Syracuse, it's been exclusively losses, but anything can happen. So, what is 
the path for Syracuse to get to the NCAA tournament. Now, uh, now here's my defense. Disclaimer. If, okay, if Syracuse was the very first team out going into the Boston College game, that loss is a very bad loss, but Boston College doesn't have a terrible resume, beat Duke, isn't one of the worst teams in the ACC anymore, won't drop Syracuse down a huge amount. If you say Syracuse is then in the next four out at this point, maybe, maybe there's a decent way to crawl back in. Why would they possibly be in the next four out is my question. It was one loss. You're looking at one bracketologist. They were further out than that. Both ESPN and CBS had Syracuse as the very first team out in at least what was Monday's bracketology. Okay, let's let's assume that it doesn't really matter where they are. Let's just assume. Let's just talk about what they have to do. And for me, it's four wins. You have to win. You have to beat Clemson, and then you have to win three games in Brooklyn. And it, I don't think it really matters who they are, um, because I think at this point it's just can Syracuse get to five hundred? You're seven and ten right now, so you go four and one. That puts you. At eleven and eleven, I just—it's it, hard for me to wrap my head around a team that has more losses than wins, making the ACC tournament. Obviously, I'm talking conference record. Syracuse's overall record is way above five hundred. If you're if you're under five hundred overall, you have a separate issue. But look, we were talking about the schedule. Syracuse is likely the eleven seed. A win today or a loss by BC against Florida State locks in Syracuse at eleven. That means in the first round, they could play Georgia Tech or Wake. Hate to burst everyone's bubble. They've lost to both of those teams this year. So we can draw that path. But, okay, let's say they win that. Then the next game is probably against Miami. Who would be the sixth seed? Again, a winnable game. They beat Miami this year. And then after that, you go on and play one of the top teams, and then you just have to hope for a huge win. But, again, what we talked about during the break and what I kind of just said is, yeah, there's a path. There's always a path when you have the the way conference tournaments are set up and you play in a conference like the ACC. You're going to get to play good teams. People are going to be watching you. They've lost to Georgia Tech. They've lost to Wake Forest. They've lost to BC. They've lost to three of the bottom four teams in the ACC. The only team they haven't lost to hasn't beaten anybody, and that's Pitt, who's 0-17. And we were talking about earlier, probably the worst team I've ever seen in a major conference like this. Um, they are much worse than that BC team of two years ago that went 0-18. Okay, so I, I, I think you're, you're arguing that it's, it's not capable of happening, and I'm not going to go against that, but my, I have a different way of thinking of it. It's Okay, let's, let's get away from the bracketology for a minute, like you said. Let's talk about what's actually happened on the floor. And a lot of the time, Syracuse has looked really, 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 really bad. But... There has been, in the way that Syracuse does, games where the team looks like a college basketball team that knows what it's doing. The 2-3 zone works. Teams don't know how to figure out on offense how to get by it. The offense is running okay, I guess. It's never really been smooth this season, but okay. Losing to North Carolina by four points last week, that was last week. (laughs) That was last week that happened. And then Boston College is a 15-point loss. What, less, I, was, was it less than a week later? Exactly a week later? Exactly. exactly a week later. This team has a ceiling that's higher 
then really I think it should be, given what the talent on the team is. Being able to compete with a North Carolina like that, being able to beat Miami like that, even though Miami's not that Miami's great. Not that, not that great. But still, I don't think it's a matter of whether or not the Orange has the talent to go in and beat a Wake Forest and then beat a Miami or a Virginia Tech and get two ACC tournament wins. It's just whether or not you, as a fan or someone who's followed this team throughout the season, honestly believe that that can happen two games in a row. Has it at all this season, outside of the Buffalo-Oaklands of the early year? Syracuse almost lost to Buffalo. That was true, yeah. That was a single point. That was a single-digit win. And they were losing in the second half. Exactly. So to answer your own question, no. They haven't really had that inconsistent games just because I think that's just this team. The thought of them winning four straight games against anybody isn't – the likelihood is not that high. But now you're talking about beating Clemson, who's ranked, and then beating teams – like, put aside the bottom feeder that they'll play in the first round, but then you're talking about beating teams like Miami, beating teams like Virginia Tech, et cetera. Like, those teams are good basketball teams. And they have to, first of all, Syracuse is going to have to play an extra game. When they play that second team, Miami, whatever, they'll have not played the day before. Syracuse will play an extra day. That's, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to play back-to-back days. And then to play three days in a row, you're asking a lot. And then we don't have to even talk about the fact that that's all on a six-man rotation. That's all been touched on plenty already. The team, It's not the size of the task, or I guess, I guess the height of the mountain that Syracuse basketball has to get over. I think the team has the capability to compete with the team in a game. It's... How just the, the, the breadth of it all, just how much it has to do over such a small period of time. I, I, I guess I, what I'm saying, I don't think Syracuse doesn't have the weapons. It doesn't have the ammunition to get it done. I like that analogy. Thank you. That was well done. Yeah, in, in a bubble, Syracuse can beat each of these teams. Like, you, but the thought of stringing it all together, it's like, I mean... Lightning doesn't strike four times. It doesn't strike four times. It doesn't say it, it, the thing is it already it did two years ago. But no, that's why everyone's thinking it can still happen. That team was much better. That team was much better. At least on paper and pretty much on the court too. <laughs> Whoa, than what this team's been. After the break, we're gonna get into what you guys have to say about it. Fizz feedback as we end every show where we take a look at some of your comments on social media, on Twitter. Give us a follow at Orange Fizz as well as our comments online on orangefizz.net. I'll have that for you right after the break to end our show on Fizz Radio on the score, 1260. On top of that, they play all five, little to no rest. Uh, he thinks Battle is battle and Brissette are, quote, burnt out. No, And they don't run set plays, which is right. They don't. Beheim said they don't, and that I actually believe him because I watch, and I watch Howard and Battle dribble and dribble and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, if you watch the team, you know that this team's offense just just fundamentally doesn't work very well. It doesn't flow very well. And I mean, I, I agree that part of that can be that the pieces aren't there, really. There aren't really the guys who have played the roles that have been successful in Jim Beheim offenses before. Uh, but at the same time, Jim Beheim offenses have relied a lot on being very talented. So it's, again, and we juggled around with this before also, is it Jim Beheim? not giving the guys the opportunity to play and not coaching them up well enough to be good? Or is it 
the recruits just weren't good enough. And I mean, also you have that argument. We really didn't even get into this and that show falls at on all. Bayheim too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that falls on Bayheim too, but for a different reason. You got guys who are no, they're you know, no top one hundred recruits in this class, and a class that has been playing more than really any in recent years. Jim Beheim doesn't usually play freshmen.